0: so good to be with you here this morning um yeah again a very warm welcome to you especially if it's your first time um i would love to chat with you afterward as well um today's bible reading is from matthew chapter 5 verse 1 to 12 and we're considering continuing our sermon series in the book of matthew before we begin let me pray dear gracious lord thank you for your word thank you for the opportunity to read it and study it together lord i pray that you would please um uh, soften our hearts to hear your word this morning lord i pray for iggy i pray that you would please help him to preach your word faithfully lord and truthfully um and help us to see how it how it affects our lives as well i pray this in jesus name amen matthew chapter 5 verse 1. now when jesus saw the crowds
1: It's always my fault. I'm sorry. Sorry, AV. AV team are wonderful, okay? They don't make these mistakes. It's often me. I don't turn on my, my microphone pack. Now, just keep your Bibles open to the start of Matthew 5. We'll be returning to that a little bit later in the sermon. Uh, I hope you had a good chat about your things that you thought were important in the past that have changed now. Now, I've got a question for you. Who here loves coffee? Hands up. If you love coffee, hands up. Yep. Some hands up straighter than others. That's great. Now, i I got to let you know. I used to hate coffee. I used to hate coffee. I used to think it was repulsive to drink this like powdered, bitter, brown stuff. Like, who would actually do that as a daily routine, as part of their life? What what's going on there? And then I met Li Qing, and she was uh, she loved coffee. So I thought, you know, I better try to understand this coffee thing a little bit better. I start. She had like this really old sunbeam coffee machine. So I started trying to make a bit of coffee. And then, you know, I started drinking a bit of the coffee and then everything changed, yeah. So I got really, really into coffee. I joined a website called coffeesnobs.com.au. It's a good website. Uh, I made a few friends there, actually. I spent so much time on there. I used to start giving advice to people and things like that as well. Uh, I used to scour gum tree for old coffee machines that I could buy and fix up and things like that. I used to even roast my own beans with a bread maker and a heat gun, all right. (laughs) It works, it works. Uh, so I was really into coffee. Something that I used to think was not important at all, I, it became a huge part of my life. I valued coffee in a big way. In fact, you know, to this day, I still do. You know, I value coffee a lot. Sometimes every day, sometimes twice a day. Come over sometime, I can make you a coffee. I'm sure we've all gone through times in our life where our values have changed. Things that we thought weren't very important or maybe even were you know, a bit you know, you didn't want to go near, became very important to you. How things that used to not matter start starting to matter a lot. Maybe it was a time when you hit puberty and you started to notice, you know, that person of the opposite sex all of a sudden. Maybe it was when you became a parent and all of a sudden it became really important whether a cafe had a high chair or a play area, yeah, and everything changed, whereas that didn't matter before. Parents know what I'm talking about. But let me tell you the biggest reorientation of our life, the biggest change of our values, where things that we didn't think were important before are now extremely vital and important is when we meet Jesus Christ. Because when we meet Jesus Christ, everything changes, it's a complete revolution. I want to show you today the values of Jesus are completely countercultural, completely upside down to everything the world has been telling us from the day that we were born. And that shouldn't surprise us because Jesus is the most countercultural figure in all of history. Now, friends, last week, we looked at Jesus beginning his ministry. Pastor Matt talked, kicked off our series on discipleship here. And the key message of Jesus Christ as he started, his mission was this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Turn around. Do a U-turn from your old way of life. There's already a revolution there, isn't there? Because the kingdom of heaven's near. And when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, as we heard last week, it's not so much about a place per se, but it's about this reality where Jesus is king and all who follow him have life. It's not just about the future. It does include that as well, but it's about right now as we follow Jesus Christ, we're living the kingdom life, following the king. So Jesus, he starts calling disciples to follow him, and we come to a part of Matthew today, that is famously known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it is here that Jesus really te- starts teaching on what it really means to be his disciple. He outlines the pattern of life for those who call themselves citizens of the kingdom. And we'll see that everything that he talks about is completely shocking. It's completely revolutionary. So we'll come back to the start of chapter 5 a bit later on. But I'm going to start a little bit further on um, as we go to our first point, which is radical Righteousness. Now when I was doing my MTS apprenticeship down in Sydney at UNSW, I used to walk around campus and I used to talk to students just about life and stuff and it was really good because students have a lot of time, they don't do anything, they're just sitting around so they're happy to have a chat. So I used to ask this question to people, uh, which is a bit of a cliche question but it's amazing the conversations you get out of it, I used to just ask people, so, you know, why are you here? Like, um, what do you think is the purpose of life, you know, what's the meaning of life for you? more often than not i get a response that went something like this to be a good person yeah that's that's how i do my life to be a good person now who here thinks that's a good aim to be a good person yeah it's a it's a good aim it's actually a good aim isn't it of course it is christian or not we should be good people but i wonder if you realize what good really means as jesus teaches this sermon." He makes very clear that obedience to the law is vital for those who belong to the kingdom of heaven. He hasn't come here to abolish the law. He's come to fulfill it. Nothing will disappear from the law. Obedience to the king is important. So much that he says this in verse 20. Have a look at Matthew 5 verse 20 in your Bibles. It's coming up on the screen too, if you don't have a Bible with you. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the Pharisees were the ultimate righteous people. These were the people that, you, you know, the modern day equivalent would be the people that never missed church, never missed a Bible study, always prayed, always gave generously. In fact, you look at them and you say, these were holy people. They knew their Bible off by heart, memory verses, all those things, the whole scriptures. So how on earth can you have a righteousness that surpasses these people? How can you be more good than these people? Well, let me show you what Jesus says. It's quite surprising. Matthew 5, verse 21. Have a look at verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Okay. The baseline is this. Don't kill people. All right? Don't kill people. I think most of us can say, yes, we can uphold that. We're not going to do that. But Jesus, he takes it to the next level. It isn't just not murder he's talking about. He says, what's he say? You can't even get angry at a fellow brother or sister, right? A fellow Christian. You can't even say, you idiot, to someone, or you might go to hell. That's what it says here. You're liable to judgment. Jesus is saying that being angry with someone is as bad as murdering them. Now, this is radical. This This is extreme. Let's go on. Matthew 5, verse 27. Verse 27, have a look. You have heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Now, I think we can all agree here that cheating on your spouse is a wicked, wrong thing to do. Adultery. But Jesus is saying here that even looking at someone lustfully, with sexual desire intent in your heart is just as bad so much so that you need to do whatever it takes to prevent that happening extreme measures to prevent it happening this is important this is extreme what he's calling us to let me show you one more example there's plenty in this list we don't have time for them all but let's get forward to Matthew 5 verse 43 verse 43 you have heard that it will said love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, this one might be the most revolutionary of all. Have a think about this. Love your neighbor. Yes, I think most of us understand that. Be kind to our neighbor. For, you know, for God's people, that's always been a command that they've lived by. But Jesus comes and says, love your enemies. Love your enemies. That if you really want to love, you can't just love people who are loving to you. You've got to love those who hate you. Those who are despicable. The lowest of low. Now, this is outright crazy. Who would do that? Friends, these are just three examples of the teaching of Jesus in this section. This whole section is filled with Jesus' call to a radical form of righteousness. Absolutely radical, revolutionary. It seems like Jesus has amped things up to the next level, hasn't he? Yeah, he's just taken things to the next level. But, in reality, Jesus is just showing us what God has always desired real righteousness real righteousness not just legalism not just outward behavior but inward heart change a deep deep righteousness that flows from a heart transformed by jesus christ not just conforming to the rules that's what he's talking about here as a parent i spend most of my time getting my kids to do things trying to get them to perform a task okay we have a rule at the table that, um, you know, after we have a meal, that the table needs to be cleared, okay? That's a very important rule for us because with seven people in the family, that means at minimum 14 pieces of cutlery, seven bowls, plates, serving spoons. That the, the table's a disaster area, right? It needs to be cleared after every meal. So that's the rule. When you finish, make sure that the whole table's cleared. You can't go off and do read your books or whatever until that's done. So my kids have a habit of this, I don't know... You know, you can sort of imagine it, though. As soon as they finish, uh, what they do is, you know, one of them might go and they might grab one teaspoon, take it to sink, chuck it in, and then they're off. They're gone. Or maybe just just one, one cup, you know, take it to sink, you know, chuck it in, and then they're gone. They've done the bare minimum just to get, get across the line, and they think they fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law in my house but no that's not that, that that's not enough that's not what we wanted when we said that we wanted the table clear so that the family you could help the family so it isn't just mum and dad that has to do a million things they just do the bare minimum but let's be honest friends we've all done that haven't we we've all been guilty of this when it comes to living for jesus doing the bare minimum to obey him but he calls us to so much more. So much more. Leaving as his disciples is about a heart, right? That doesn't say, how much is enough? Just how much, until I can tick that box. But it's about a heart that says, how can I worship my king with all that I have? Everything. It's about a heart that doesn't ask, how close can I get to the line before it's sin? You know, can I, can I go this far before? But it's, it's, it's about a heart that says, how far can I run the opposite direction so that sin isn't even in my radar? It's not even in my sphere, The Sermon on the Mount paints a picture of a heart that has been melted and transformed by the gospel to desire wholeheartedly what God desires. In one sense, it's not extreme. This is what the law has always been about, real righteousness. And this is the radical righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. As we are called to this, we see that this righteousness is important because it is a picture of, of our God himself. Verse 48, Matthew 5 verse 48 says this. Just after the section about loving your neighbour, it ends with this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Friends, as we think about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in this series, this is the call of discipleship here. It's perfection. (laughs) To be like our God. But come on. You're joking, right? You're sitting here going, come on Iggy, you're joking. This is impossible, right? How how on earth am I supposed to do this? Not even getting angry. That was me in the car with the kids on the way to church. Not ever lusting. How am I supposed to do that with the internet throwing things at me every single day? Even as I walk up and down the streets, maybe on campus, and the things that people are wearing, showing off their bodies, the temptations everywhere. How am I supposed to do that? Loving everyone? I struggle to even love my own family. How am I supposed to love my worst enemies? Friends, I want us to wrestle with attention here. As impossible as this is in some sense, this is what Jesus calls us to as his disciples. Maybe you value, you have different values in life, right? Maybe you value having fun, even if it's a bit immoral. Maybe you value fitting in with the crowd. Maybe you value just keeping the rules. Maybe that's your value. But if our Lord Jesus Christ cares about real righteousness that consumes all of our life, we need to care about it too. We need to care about this. (coughs) Friends, our values change when we become a disciple of Jesus. Our values change when we become a disciple of Jesus. And one of those values needs to be radical righteousness because this is our Lord. So fight. Fight. Fight for wholehearted righteousness. That doesn't just come from mere external rule-keeping. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit to help us, to empower us, transform us, change us, albeit imperfectly, as we strive for this. Do whatever it takes. Remember what Jesus said. Pluck out your eye if it causes you to lust, or maybe the modern-day equivalent. Disconnect your modem. Don't go to those bars and clubs. Whatever will cause you to sin, get rid of it. Righteousness really matters. Righteousness matters. And let me tell you something. As you strive for this righteousness, the world will think you are crazy, (laughs) but not going along with their ways. The world will tell you, your friends will tell you, your family will tell you, why do you care so much about being such a good person? Why, why is this so important to you? Loosen up. Have some fun. Stop being so serious, right? Your values won't be in line with what they value. You will stand out, but that's okay. You're supposed to. This is what it means to follow Jesus Christ, Your Lord. The path of following Jesus, it's completely countercultural because you're following someone who's turning the world upside down. And now let me bring you back to that tension. We're to live out this radical righteousness. All right, I just want to say that very clearly. On one hand, we're to live out this radical righteousness. This is the call that Jesus has called us to, empowered by the Spirit to do this. But yes, you are right. Ultimately, it's impossible. How can we be perfect? Perfect like God. How can we be perfect? How can we actually perfectly follow these high demands? The answer is we can't. We can't. Here's attention, we have to acknowledge that. It doesn't mean we don't try, but it's important to come to grips with the big truth. We can never be righteous enough. We need help. And that drives us to our next point, which is countercultural blessings. Countercultural blessings. So keep that in mind. We need help. Have you ever looked up the, uh, the hashtag category, hashtag blessed, uh, on Instagram or Facebook or something like that? I did, a, I did a really quick search. And, man, there's a lot of different things put into this category for blessings on Instagram. I think there was 150,000 posts last time I looked up hashtag blessed. Um, here's a few of the ones that I saw uh, recently that picked up. Some are really nice. This is a really nice one. Happy birthday to my little girl who made me a dad. I'm forever proud of you and the difference you are making in the world. Every day with you is a gift, and thanks for being my best friend. How amazing is that post? I don't know who these people are, by the way. I'm just, I just sort of did a search and found these. That's amazing. That's a blessing, isn't it? You know, that family, that tightness, that closeness. Hashtag blessed. Um, here's another one. I'm really going to Super Bowl. Like I've turned in over the years, tuned in over the years through the TV and being at Super Bowl parties. but man, to actually be there. Hashtag blessed. Super Bowl. Blessed. Hashtag blessed. All right, I think I got one more here. What's the last one? I forgot. Gorgeous morning in Medina Valley. Find a job you love. You'll never have to work a day in your life. Hashtag blessed. She looks happy, doesn't she? Hashtag blessed, right? But there's lots of different things like people talk about when it talks about blessings. And I wonder when you hear the word blessings, to be blessed what, what you think about. Well, I want to show you what Jesus says about blessings. Matthew 5, verse 3. Have a look in your Bibles, or it's coming up on the screen. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This section is commonly known as the Beatitudes, which means blessings. And it's it's important to note, this isn't a to-do list to enter... To enter heaven, alright? You you should do all these things, you'll get it describes the norms of the kingdom of heaven. This is what it's describing. It describes the way of life for those that follow Jesus, the blessed way for those who are kingdom citizens. But when you read that list, I, I wonder what you think. It doesn't sound much like blessing, does it? Poor. Mourning, meek, hungry, thirsty. Doesn't this sound more like curses? Our first problem is that we've misunderstood blessing. The word blessing isn't primarily about getting stuff. It actually means to be approved by God. And as we see, as, and as we'll see, what God approves of, what His values are, are completely countercultural to what the world values. Have a look at Matthew five verse three in your Bibles. Have a look there. So I want you to have a look in your, in your Bibles, and we'll, we'll spend a bit of time in each one quickly. Number one: Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, being poor in spirit is a personal acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy. Right? That's what it's saying here. It's a confession that we can bring nothing to the table except sin. And we fall short, so far short of what we're meant to be. In essence, it's saying, I am a sinner. I've got, I've got nothing to offer you, God. I'm poor. I've got nothing to offer you spiritually. And this, friends, is the first one because this is the foundation for us as disciples of Jesus. As we strive for radical righteousness that we've been talking about and fall short. As we try and live the way of Jesus Christ and strive, we need this as our foundation. We need to be convinced, convinced that if it was up to us alone, we will never be right with God. We'll never be good enough for God. And this conviction, it's so important because when it truly grips our heart, it leads to us it leads to only one thing. It leads to us saying to God, We need help. And you're the only one that can help me. The world doesn't value this neediness, right, that Jesus commends. It values self-sufficiency, independence. Many of us here um, know this. Many of us sitting in this room are from migrant families. Yeah, our families have moved over to give us a better future, right? They never wanted us to be in need, right? Because they were in need. They struggled. And they're doing all this for us. Have your parents ever said stuff like this to you? I want you to have options. You know, I want you to have. As many opportunities as you can. I want want options for your kids as well. I want you to have a comfortable lifestyle because I I never had that. They didn't move here so you could be poor and depending on others. All right? That's That's not what our families want for us. But what if I told you that the most fundamental value to the kingdom of God is being needy? Because this is what Jesus is saying to us today we need help. We need help. We are spiritually bankrupt. We are poor. We bring nothing to the table that will commend us to God. And we need help because when it comes to the blessing of receiving the kingdom of heaven, only Jesus can help us through his death and resurrection. Only he can forgive our sins. Only he can give us new life. Only he can help us and empower us to live following him. And when you come to him lowly and needy, trusting in him, he will bless you. The promise is this the kingdom of heaven is yours but it all starts with neediness neediness this opening verse frames everything that follows uh, have a look at verse four with me blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted one of the most common responses i got when i walked around campus asking what's the meaning of life was um, uh, as well as uh, people saying, you know, uh, what did I say people said before on campus? I forgot. I'm, I'm... To be a good person. Sorry, I had a brain blank. Thank you. You're listening. That was a test. Yeah. <laughs> One of the other common responses I got was this. You, you might be able to guess what it was. Well, what's the meaning of life? People used to say to me, to be happy. To be happy. Yeah. That's the second most, co- or both were on par, I would say. But Jesus says this. God blesses those who mourn. Who mourn. But mourn over what? The Old Testament gives examples of God's approving of those who mourn, people who are God blessing those who are sad, but their grief is always over sin. Their grief is always over sin. Those who are broken and deeply convicted over their personal rebellion against God and about the state of the world, disciples of Jesus should look at our society and actually mourn, Right? We should look at the state of our society and the immorality that's been elevated, the materialism, the sex, just the state of things around us. And we should weep at this, actually, that sin has infected our world in this way. Are you sad about sin? Well, Jesus says you will be comforted. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The world celebrates the proud, the go-getters, who assert themselves... God blesses those who are humble, lowly of heart, trusting in God patiently. This is the heart of Jesus as he talks in Matthew 11. He's lowly, he's gentle. Uh, Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The world values immorality and self-indulgence. God values a deep desire in his people for radical righteousness and holiness. This is what we talked about in our opening point. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The world thinks that mercy is weak, but God values mercy. Mercy is a loving response towards the misery and helplessness of others. If we're a kingdom citizen, a disciple of Jesus, we should be characterized by compassion towards others. This is the mark of someone who's been shown mercy by God. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The world doesn't value purity at all. In fact, it promotes impurity. But God cares about a pure heart. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. The world says that it values peace. You know all the beauty pageants, world peace is uh, the standard answer. But the world actually champions conflict because it promotes selfish ambition. God blesses those who are peacemakers. I think what it's saying here is primarily talking about taking the gospel out, that gospel of reconciliation, the fact that we can have peace with God, but I also think that kingdom citizens are called to be those that foster peace in the relationships around us as well, to be peacemakers. And the final one that we'll look at, verse 10 and 11, have a look at verse 10 and 11 with me. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you... Because persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The world says this, that those who suffer, that those who are persecuted are cursed. God says that those who are persecuted because of righteousness are blessed. Friends, we spend a lot of our life trying to fit in, don't we? Ever since we're kids, we're taught... You need to fit in. You don't want to stand out. All right? You need to fit in. That's how you survive. That's how you thrive. But if you walk the path of the kingdom, you must realize something. You will stand out. I hope you've seen that the life of a disciple of Jesus is radical, it's revolutionary, it's countercultural. And that means something very important. And when you put yourself out there, you will be opposed. You will be opposed. The verses after the Beatitudes actually tell us how we are to be lights in the world. A light is something that stands out in the darkness, not to be hidden away, but shining forth to dispel the darkness. And think about this, if our enemies are looking for a target, what are they going to see? They're going to see the light shining in the darkness. They're going to target the ones that are most obvious, not the ones that are hidden away. They're going to target that light, that, that beacon, you know, shining out. They're going to target the big city on top of a hill. That's what it talks about, to be like city, cities on a hill. There are some of you here that know this well. You've been ridiculed by your friends and family, haven't you? You've been ridiculed in your workplace, maybe by school friends, whatever it might be. You've been, maybe you've been discriminated against in your workplace for your faith. My friends, take heart take heart. This is actually a sign that you are blessed. I'm not saying it's not hard. Hear that. I'm not saying it's not difficult and painful, but this is actually a sign of God's blessing. In fact, you share good company because it says here, the prophets themselves were persecuted for living for God. That's what it says. And of course, our Lord Jesus Christ himself, he was nailed to a cross because he didn't fit the norms of the world. Friends, rejoice when you are persecuted, for that means you are walking the path of Jesus. And let me tell you, he is worth it. He is worth it. This is the king that has sacrificed his own life to bring you new life. This is the king who grants you entry into the kingdom of heaven, not because you are lovely and obedient and good, but because he loves you. This is, there is no one more precious than Jesus Christ. If we want to talk about what we value jesus has to be at the center how can he not be he's poured out his own life for us and now we call him not just savior but our lord friends we need to care about what jesus cares about i hope you've seen that the values of a disciple jesus they're revolutionary they're radical they're completely out there it's not self-sufficiency that matters it's neediness it's not a happy life, it's mourning. It's not being successful, it's humility. It's not avoiding suffering at all costs, but it's suffering for Christ's sake. And when we do these things, the world is going to think we are crazy. That's just the reality. But then, you know, when, when, in the past, I think if we looked at this list, you would have thought these things were crazy, right? Honestly, like they're ridiculous. But then what happened? We met Jesus and everything turned upside down. Our values were turned upside down, everything changed. (laughs) When I was younger, I used to love drinking this drink, sarsaparilla. Do you guys like sarsaparilla? Anyone like sarsaparilla here? A lot of shaking heads here. Uh, I used to love drinking sarsaparilla drink. Um, And one summer, one hot Brisbane summer, I remember I wanted to drink a can. So I got a can from the storeroom. Um, There was a lot of warning signs. It was warm, very warm. Uh, when I opened it up, it was like all thick and there was like really thick bubbles that came out of it but I thought, oh, I'm going to drink it anyway. So, because uh, I just wanted to drink it, I love sarsaparilla drinks. So I drank it and what happened after that was that I, uh, a day later I developed severe stomach pains, all right, really severe stomach pains. A few days later after that I developed appendicitis. Um, I don't know if it's because of the sarsaparilla, I don't know me- medically if that's possible but I do blame the sarsaparilla for that. <laughs> um, to this day, I can't go near the stuff. It repulses me. Right? I see, I'm like, I do not want to go near that thing. I used to love it. I used to love it, honestly. But now there's nothing that I, I, don't want anything to do with it. My values completely change, right? Our values change when we become a disciple of Jesus. Everything, friends, let me tell you, everything you used to love, you used to think it was good, you used to think it was important, these things change. We used to love sin, right? So good, so enjoyable. But you don't love sin anymore. The things of the world, the things that used to be appealing, you know, they used to appeal to us, but not anymore. You are a new person with new values. You belong to Jesus now. Your desires, your heart, your values, what matters change completely because of what Jesus has done in your life. So, don't strive for greatness. Strive for humble neediness. Don't strive for self-indulgement. Strive for radical righteousness. And don't value the temporary things of this world. Value what is eternal and will last, the kingdom of heaven. And when you do this, let me tell you, you will be blessed. Because it leads to Jesus Christ. It leads to you bowing before Jesus Christ, your king, each and every day, not relying on yourself, but depending deeply on him trusting in him relying on him honoring him each and every day as his disciple the world doesn't value this but that's okay we have jesus and nothing is more precious than him let me pray father god we thank you for jesus and we know that as he comes he turns everything upside down absolutely everything he's turned our life upside down we are made new We belong to him now. The kingdom of heaven is ours. But we pray for your strength to help us to live out this identity as disciples of Jesus Christ, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to have the courage and boldness to live a life that stands out like a light in the darkness. And we thank you so much for the fact that no matter the times where we do shrink back, the times that we do find it hard, It doesn't change who we are in your eyes, that you have saved us, you've secured this future hope for us already. And we pray that this grace and mercy of Christ may fuel us each and every day to live for your glory and honour and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.